You're listening to the Coaching Cast podcast with Susie and Lisa. We are super lucky to have this seventh season sponsored by our friend and YouTube's top breath coach, Mike Mayer from Take a Deep Breath. Mike is the first official sponsor of this podcast and specializes in reducing stress and anxiety through practical, fun and science-based breathing techniques. You can get started for free by clicking on the link in the show notes and downloading a free guided audio breathing exercise from Mike. Say goodbye to stress and hello to a more relaxed and chilled state of mind. And if you're interested in being a sponsor on this podcast, you can contact us by emailing hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Susie, and this is The Coaching Cast. We are the no-nonsense podcast, chatting about the things impacting you at work right now, helping you to survive, but more importantly, thrive in today's ever-changing workplace. We discuss different topics each episode, sharing our ideas, hints, and top tips from our experiences of working in the corporate world, running our own businesses, and also being qualified coaches. We also try to have a few laughs along the way too, because taking yourself too seriously is just boring. We really hope you enjoy listening. In today's episode, we're talking to our first guest of the seventh season, Nathan Whitbread, otherwise known as the Neurodivergent Coach. We are discussing with Nathan the topic of neurodiversity in the workplace. So stay with us and enjoy. So before we welcome Nathan to join us to talk about this really interesting topic of neurodiversity, what have you been up to, Suze? Tell me. Well, it's been quite a week um, because... On Saturday, so a few days ago, I went to TEDx Manchester. Unfortunately, not to speak, because that is one of my absolute dreams. Not yet. Vision, not, not yet. It's yet. on my vision board, everybody, just manifesting <laughs> that out into the universe. Um, but me and my friend, Katie, we went to TEDx Manchester to watch um, this amazing and incredible lineup of speakers. There was 15 speakers in total. And I have to say... It was honestly one of the most amazing days of my life. <laughs> Aside from obviously like giving birth and getting married and all, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, all that um, sort of stuff, all that sort of stuff. Fifteen speakers! Wow, I didn't realise there were so many. Yeah, so it's quite a long day, but it didn't drag um, at all because I was like, I'm only able to listen for that amount of time. Um, but I activated my top tips from our previous episode on how to listen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was incredible. I have to say they put on an amazing event. I just, the stories were so powerful. There's lots of personal stories about all sorts of different topics. Like there was a speaker about sharks, a speaker about biodiversity, a speaker who'd invented the walking desk. There was conversations around um, male suicide and um, something called postvention. Um, there was um, fellow podcaster, so Damien Hughes from the Performance Podcast with Jake Humphrey. He was there talking That's about courage. Cool. Oh, that is very cool. Talk about a high profiler. Yeah. Um, there was an incredible lady speaker who 
um, was a nurse with superpowers. So she had this ability to sniff disease in people. Okay. No and way. She, really? Yeah. She sniffed Parkinson's. Well, she's she, the, the smell of her husband changed over time and she noticed it. She didn't know what it was. And, and it basically came about that he had started developing uh, Parkinson's and she had noticed that through his um smell changing wow. and she's now working with the university of manchester to like help them develop some testing um and other other diseases as well she was honestly phenomenal she got standing ovation because her story was incredibly moving her husband has now unfortunately passed away um but she'd never done anything like this before and you could just tell it meant a lot to her and she was incredible in terms of being a public speaker as well so um Oh my goodness, like I was excited about the day. We went through a bit of a roller coaster of emotions as the day kind of went through. It was like funny at times, I was crying at times, I was kind of like intrigued at times, I learned new things. Um, so it was quite a roller coaster. On Sunday, I was I think my brain was a bit like, wow, you've processed a lot of information in the last time. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so amazing. I would love to go to a TEDx day. I think it's an incredible experience and it's been reinforced by your experience yeah um, for sure so that's so cool it was phenomenal so yeah anybody who listens to TED Talks then get yourself a ticket to your local TEDx there's lots and lots of events around the country um you can just have a look and sign up the Manchester one is always in March it's every year um and it was phenomenal and if you're in the northwest you definitely need to go next year because I will most definitely be there oh wow well hopefully on stage next year well, fingers crossed. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed. Manifesting Come on, everyone. Into the universe. Everyone manifest. Let's We're get Susie on the stage. Get Susie onto <laughs> the stage. It's incredible. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, from one extreme to the next, you had a fantastically cultural moving experience on Saturday. I ended up going to a wine fair for the day where it just rained. So there was nothing particularly cultural about that. Well, it was supposed to be because it was supposed to be wine educational. But everyone just got drenched and it's, uh, I mean, in South Africa, people in March, it's very unusual to have rain, but we actually had thunderstorms. Um, and there was many disgruntled moments between my husband and I and said friends as we tackled rainstorms, mud, to try and get into this wine fair. Um, oh God, so yeah, it sounds like a high class Glastonbury. Uh, yeah, I really wouldn't give it that much credit. Um, oh. <laughs> it wasn't that great. Um so yes, from one extreme to the other. Um, but yes, I'm so pleased that TEDx Manchester was fantastic. So fantastic. And on that note, so you ended up spending the whole day talking to some inspirational individuals and really interesting individuals who taught you some new things. And mm -hmm. I think the same can be said for today's guest, who I'm really keen to get on to talk to, especially as I haven't really got anything much more exciting to share other than that uh, story of my wine festival experience, which was a bit damp. That was just like being back in the UK, to be quite frank. Um, so I suggest we get Nathan on. What do you think? Let's talk to Nathan. Let's do it. Today, we are really excited to welcome Nathan Whitbread to the coaching cast. Nathan provides consultancy, coaching and assistive technology training for dyslexic and neurodivergent individuals and teams. Nathan has worked in various roles across the technology sector and for over eight years in engineering, commercial and leadership. 
holding leadership positions within the non-for-profit agency and leadership development sectors as well. Nathan's career highlight is becoming a coach and in his own words, having the opportunity to work with some of my heroes. Nathan, welcome to the coaching cast. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's it's our pleasure. We're very excited to have you here. As you can tell, you are our first guest of this season. And I always think the first guests get the most enthusiasm because we're like, oh, wow, someone else to talk to. Because me and Susie have been chatting to just each other for the <laughs> first few episodes. So, yeah. yeah. You're going to get a lot of hyperactivity today, I think. Um, <laughs> as well as the fact that we're talking about a subject that I found hugely fascinating. I know you and I first met uh, back in November, I think it was October time last year. Uh, and that was because I'd listened to you talk on another podcast, um, which I'd found extremely inspiring um, and was really keen to talk to you so that we could kind of steal you for our own podcast I guess um but it's because this subject is so interesting and it's it has had a lot of um attention a lot of interest there's a lot of it in the media um and more and more people I believe are talking about it um which I always think is ironic because it's not a new subject as such but it seems to suddenly be getting attention so yeah really excited to have you here to talk to us so I think as a starting point, it feels right to actually talk about and potentially even explain to our listeners what the term neurodivergent actually means. Yeah, sure. So, so new. I mean, if we roll back a little bit further and talk about what neurodiversity kind of means. So neurodiversity was first coined by a woman called Judy Singer who's an Australian, um, and she was sort of studying the area, particularly around autism, actually. And she did some work, I think, with a guy called Harvey Bloom, who's an American journalist. And they sort of coined this term. So that was very much talking about the autistic community. Um, since then, that's moved on. And the term neurodiversity, as I understand it, really means all of us, because we all think slightly differently, yeah? Mm. because of who we are. Yeah. And you've got these other wonderful words like intersectionality, which is another sort of buzzword, but basically just means we're made up of all the bits you know it's our social economic background our gender our sexuality our schooling our last boss possibly even the person we met on the way to this call has influenced somewhat but that kind of idea and I've I always have this picture of this piece of wire that's wound together and it's kind of all the different strands of who we are so that's what intersectionality is all about and that was really talking about females initially but I think again that's a bigger broader thing now now, when you talk about neurodivergent, what we're saying is that some people think quite a bit differently to the so-called normality of the, the kind of population, which is a bell curve. And what normal is, is, of course, a big discussion, because actually, I think we've all experienced that. I don't know where normal sits, really. But, <laughs> yeah. but there is some yeah. people that sit on, 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 on maybe a little bit further out of that, whatever that normal is. And they would describe or sometimes describe themselves as neurodivergent and that typically incorporates some of the diagnosed conditions so around autism adhd dyspraxia dyslexia there's quite a few of them tourette's um, dyslexia and many others now the thing about this neurodivergent space is though you've got this idea of diagnosis but actually you don't have to have a diagnosis to have traits of this stuff because one of the other things that's absolutely true, and this is based on work by Professor Amanda Kirby and others, 
that co-occurrence is the rule rather than the exception. That means if you've got traits of one thing, you're highly likely to have traits of another, and they may not hit a diagnostic threshold. So what does that mean? That means where everyone's an individual in it, but noticing that can be really helpful. Long answer, I know. Is that helpful? <laughs> no, it's really, really helpful. And actually, I've never heard neurodiversity used to describe everybody before. I don't think, anyway. I think I've heard it used in the sense of labelling a group of people, which I do think societally and culturally we love to do. We love labelling groups to help us to interpret decipher them which is why I find it really interesting when you sort of use the word normal and you know I use the word normal in inverted commas Those actually big I, inverted yeah because, <laughs> because actually I do find it increasingly quite offensive or it marginalizes the word normal because I don't I don't even know what that is anymore and everybody is different so it's, it is a strange one that word but no I, I find it very interesting and then that differentiation just to help with the diver neurodivergent and therefore what falls within that. Yeah. Yeah. So the other bit I was gonna can I add one bit to this, Lisa? Of course this you can, yeah. Great. I think it's really important. So my philosophy around this, and no others sort of hold this, is that all these stuff, this labeling, I I think it's a lens to look through, not a label to be worn. And I think that's really important in this space. And I know that's true for lots of things, but yeah, particularly in this space, because We've all got a view of what Bridget Jones is like, yeah? Mm. And Bridget Jones actually behaves a bit like someone who's got some dyspraxic traits. We've all got a view of what Dustin Hoffman was like in Rain Man. Who's got, and is, and, and yeah. I can never remember the guy's name, but the guy that played the accountant, we've all got a view of what he was like. Ben Affleck. That's it, yeah. Ben Affleck, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, that not everyone on the fantastic. Well, he's saying, not everyone on the autistic spectrum behaves like that. They don't all have machine guns in their house and they don't <laughs> all work for the mafia as auditors. <laughs> But those are stereotypes, <laughs> however we choose to yeah. approach it, that we hold. And yeah. that is really important, I think. Yeah, it's so true. And I love what you said about labels being a lens to look through, because I think that is so true as well. And not to go off topic, but with mental health disorders, you know, I, I think that is so applicable there too. You know, there's the uh, stereotypical view and the fear that is associated with this as well of mental health disorders like yeah. schizophrenia like bipolar like you know but they are all so broad and varied and one individual who has schizophrenia is not the same as another and their condition and how it presents itself and therefore the behavior is not the same but just that word does strike a, a view for people and it's frightening um so I do you know and as I've got family members who have mental health disorders and I know really quite strongly how labelling has at many a time been very restrictive for them um, and caused actually an, more harm than anything else because they've got hung up on the label um, and there's a real lack of sensitivity therefore then around how it's applied so yeah, I really like that. I think I'm going to nick that, actually. Nathan. And also, I would argue, I'll just argue as well, Lisa, that we, although we've talked about lots of the lifelong neurodivergent conditions, so there is the whole acquired piece, and that looks like some of the things, and some of the, some of the things you've talked about, obviously lifelong as well, but some are acquired, like mm. PTSD, bipolar, migraine even. 
we wow. could even talk about menopause i mean i know that's a bit you know but actually that does change the way that females think at mm. certain points and there's the whole perimenopause and what that looks like this all impacts what goes on and some of those things present like other neurodivergent conditions so yeah. what's more it's it's so important that we focus on the individual and where they're at and what's coming back to that kind of idea of intersectionality and who they are you know what's going on for them and asking them is so important what's helpful yeah for sure totally so when we're talking about neurodiversity in the workplace which uh um, are we right in saying that that's predominantly where you focus your coaching is in the workplace yeah yeah so yeah when we're talking about neurodiversity in the workplace what is that that's individuals who've got Mm -hmm. um so it's it's primarily about new individual neurodivergent conditions or yep. traits, traits more okay. importantly. And there's something there about working out how to make life work in a work context. There's also a piece about leaders and teams in terms of how to embrace those things, because with all of these neurodivergent traits, there are strengths and there are difficulties. And the key thing, I think, is how do we help individuals and teams amplify their strengths and manage the things they find difficult? Hmm. And are you able to bring that to life for us in terms of what that could look like in terms of when you talk about the difficulties oh, and the strengths? Let's talk about both. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So it so it could be around making changes about how we actually structure what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we communicate? Um so for some individuals, agenda is really important and actually knowing what part they need to play because maybe they find it difficult in social situations, especially when they're not clear on what's happening. Whereas some of us, we're quite happy to freestyle it, but mm-hmm. that doesn't work for everyone. So having that structural in place, things like, I mean, just off the, you know, some of the things that I've worked around is not being asked to do minutes when the way your processing works is that when you're doing those minutes you can't focus on anything else now we've obviously got lots of super tools now that can help work with that and sometimes it's not about technology it's about culture because some organizations have a view well we don't want things recorded Mm. the question is well if we build a structure that says we make a recording and then that recording may be destroyed once the notes have been written up within your data protection policy what is the problem what, what you know sort of challenging some of those ideas this is the way things have always been done around here and, mm. and it comes back to that question of why are you doing it that way what, what's that all about mm. um and there's also some pieces around you know tools that can be used to support individuals maybe it's around the writing process and i'm a big believer in project and what i mean by that is that for for individuals that have neurodivergence, quite often they they are on a we're on a project because I mean I've got some of this stuff going on in my own life and 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 it's about constantly assessing well what works, what's changed, what needs to change, and the thing that remains consistent is the processes that we use quite often, mm-hmm. and what we do is we slot in other tools at various times as they become useful. So for example, the resurgent uh, sort of the AI revolution is going on and that's really helpful, but knowing how those tools are helpful is really important Mm. Um, because there's something here as well about the tools can sometimes become the problem and what and it's that classic thing about well i'll give you a great tool to fix x but it also does y z p and q but y z p and q are a big distraction for me because actually i'm always interested in new shiny things 
So that tool that could have solved X really well has now completely broken me because I'm completely distracted by all the other stuff I don't really understand. And just to sort of throw a scenario to you, my employers paid for that. So I feel guilty they paid for that and I don't really know how to use it and it's not really helping me. So now I'm completely kind of like, what do I do? And this is some of the situations that I get involved in and working out how to how to how to do that well mm. and, and it's and it's a fine line and there's there's an element of negotiation in here as well in terms of working out what works best for the individual but also for the organization because no individual in an organization is a silo they've got to interact so how do we make sure they've got the, you know, the tools and the processes that allow them to interact and mm. to work stuff out yeah absolutely and I think some of this sounds like and I don't mean to oversimplify this at all, but it comes down to what we talk about a lot here on the coaching cast, which is in leadership, recognizing that you lead different people and that no one person is the same. And that as a really effective leader trying to build an effective team, you do need to be prepared to invest time in every single person to get to know them and understand how they think what's important to them, what works well for them and what doesn't and building that trust to be able to have those open conversations where people feel like they can truly share. I totally agree. And if you didn't do that, you could probably get a robot to do that job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? You just go, well, there's the cookie cutter approach to leadership. We just plug you in and tell you what to do actually, but we're human and we need to have human conversations and we need to work it out you know and we have to keep working out because what's true today won't necessarily be true tomorrow so actually absolutely and that's what makes this exciting yeah yeah and also we're ever evolving aren't we as well as 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 people and as individuals who are experiences so I think that becomes even more important the more we've perhaps longer we've been in an organization or we've been in a role as well or the longer we've worked with people because then assumption starts to come into it for others I think Mm. and institutionalization is also a big factor even in funky companies that are brand new we still get institutionalized if we're not careful absolutely I've definitely experienced that myself. I hold my hands up. I know I've become institutionalized within organizations when I've worked there for too long. And actually it's been the impetus to go, which is that realization of, uh, I need to break out, try something new, expand, challenge myself. Mm. Uh, so no, it's interesting because what is the power of neurodiversity in the workplace? Would you say? I think, I think it's the innovative edge. I really do. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and we were trying to look some some sort of like cutting edge research that sort of demonstrates that. And a lot of it's kind of indicative. There's no sort of, I can't point you at a paper that says, bum. But <laughs> I just get, I think it's in a, the innovative edge because have you ever come across Sir Ken Robinson? Uh, he's, I think he died mm. quite recent, well, not that long ago, but he, he did this brilliant TED. I mean, it's a massive TED talk about education, this idea that, the way the education system's ranked is you've got maths and English somewhere in the sky and drama and CDT somewhere under the floor in terms of what people think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but of course, when you go into industry, that's all kind of like hygiene, maths and English. Yes, yeah. Drama and CDT that produce innovation. So it kind yeah. of turns upside down. And I and I really and from the individuals that I've worked with, you know, there's there's cutting breakthrough stuff there, but if we don't create the environment where that can be brought to the surface, 
where that can play a part in how we shape our products, our services, our processes, our customer experience, then we're losing something. So mm. it's kind of like gold that's ready to be tapped. And, yeah. and as with all this stuff around recruitment, you may already have the things in your organization that completely transform it, but are you listening to them? Yeah. It's so interesting that that when you talk about education, because I do think I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Nathan, because of your personal experience. But I know from having a sibling who's dyslexic, my younger sisters have uh, was dyslexic. And when you look at the there's three sisters altogether, myself, I've got two sis, younger sisters. And when you look at our educational experience, they are so widely different Um we went to weirdly three very different schools. My parents were very supportive that we would all go where we wanted to go. I mean, talk about making their lives difficult because they were all in very different places, but there we go. Um, and our experience of education is very different. And especially my youngest sister who is dyslexic and it totally, I would say, and I don't mean to say this in a dramatic sense, but I think it's true it really did ruin her educational experience and her experience of school because her dyslexia was not supported. It wasn't managed effectively. So she always felt different and outsider behind. She hated school. So she feigned sickness regularly and, you know, to avoid it, um, you know, socially, absolutely fine she's got a really solid group of friends and her best friends are still the friends she went to school with so it didn't hinder that so much but it really it made her frightened of the classroom um and it really impacted her her grades um you know that hasn't hindered her in her adult life or in her career because she's forged it for herself but what has always been a challenge is her self-confidence and self-belief and I think it stems from that educational experience um and sort of trying to be forced into to conform into spaces that you just can't you can't operate with um yeah. and I, it's interesting i didn't know what your experience was knowing personally you know personally that you've got an association with this yeah. as well I could talk about my own experience, but probably my children's experience is probably more interesting now i mean my own experience was undiagnosed dyslexic with ADHD traits and autistic traits who didn't get diagnosed about 35 and only got diagnosed because his wife said that you do you do know you think a bit differently and if you're going to go off and do these because I was going to do some exams with well I did some exams with the Charles Institute of Marketing and they told me it was going to be closed book essay style and I was just like I spent my whole life avoiding that stuff I did engineering at university you know I avoided that stuff and now you want me to do it now I can't do it and it was then like the realization and the classic I'll never forget the comment from the guy that assessed me he said well you're not thick but there's a disparity between the way you talk, the person that's talking to me and the person I see on paper that is so huge. That there's obviously something going on there. And that's what we call the spiky profile, i.e. there's huge disparity sometimes between yeah. verbal wow. presentation and the yeah. written presentation. And that's something I wrestled with for a long time. Um, I think specifically in the school space, it's really challenging for schools. I really get that. I, I'm not, I don't know where this current, there's this kind of movement in terms of, uh, assessment particularly for dyslexia and I don't know if that's now being fully opened up to include all the neurodivergent conditions because mm. I think that's really important as we've already talked about into this co-occurrence um from our own because we've got four children and two of them have diagnoses um um two of them are, you know they, they kind of got some got there is some traits there but they're, they're very they're really doing well and it, it's not an issue but 
we've noticed the support is there. There seems to be a lot more flexibility. But what's most exciting, I think, at the moment is this kind of whole shift in the way, particularly post-16 education is looking in terms of modern apprenticeships. I think there's a huge opportunity. Mm. So our eldest son, because he sits on the autistic spectrum, he has some really interesting um, special interests. I don't know how much you know. It so he is fascinated by PA and live sound. Okay. I mean, and this, and if you have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's um, yeah. Outliers? I've, so he's oh, done I've, his I've, ten thousand hours. Yeah. He's done his ten thousand hours, and then some. Yeah. This. You know, <laughs> he. So, so he's nervous about the fact he doesn't know his stuff. But when he goes to trade shows, he talks to people in the industry or experts who are going. Actually, you really get this stuff. So he's yeah. actually been asked if he wants to go and do a degree level apprenticeship which he can't do because he's not 18 he's only 15 so he's got to wait for that but the point is wow. with these different approaches suddenly mm, doors yeah. come. now I know we're yeah. really fortunate there because his special interests have aligned with something that is commercially valuable yeah and that he can do that's not true for everyone but that idea that actually we get a bit more creative with the way the education system works I think is really important yeah. The other thing that I think is really, really important is that we deconstruct. And and I think this is happening. And what I mean by that is you do not have to write perfect English to write perfect, great stories. And I don't know what your experience of score is, but my experience of score is handwriting, writing stories out with my hand. And I can't even read my own handwriting. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. So that's an issue. But yeah, I know now I can blog and stuff. I can write well, but I need the things and the processes around to support that. Yeah. But absolutely. I never knew that until I was about 40. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, and I think that's true of my, as I said, my my younger sister. I think it was that whole, because you had to fit into it and conform into a box, if you like. If you didn't yeah. fit into it, there wasn't really much for you. And And to be honest, I've actually found that in the workplace personally, when it comes to... Um, not you know maths is not my strong point it never has been I am a creative sort everything I excelled in was as you said below the floorboard um apart from English I was good at that which is quite honestly the only reason I think I actually got much kudos at school was because my English was strong so at least I ticked one of the formal boxes um but the rest of my skill set sits way underneath the subjects that not really they don't really get that much um yeah, much. they're not much celebrated. And it, it's kind of felt a little bit like that for me when I went into the workplace. Um, and I still think I struggle a little bit with it now in now in my coaching, which is this sense that I still have this old stereotypical view that the skills that are valued in work are mathematical and commercial and those things that help on you know very clearly and obviously generate cash flow for businesses not the skills that I bring which are the annoyingly you know the softer and I'm putting them in inverted comments because there's nothing soft and easy about leadership and people and developing others but you know it's mm. it, the creativity side I think is still the element that I know I've worked in organizations who wanted to be really creative and would talk about it all the time and say how it was the it's what they needed to be more innovative, to drive product development, to, you know, secure future business, but actually still we're trying to conform everybody into a box. <laughs> and that's, that's really interesting you say, Lisa, because when we talk about, if we sort of roll it back to neurodiversity, 
that's really relevant because lots of organizations like you said at the beginning of the podcast are recognizing this is a really interesting space it's getting a lot of visibility there's people Mm -hmm. making noise about it we've got things like neurodiversity in business that are making you know lots there's a there's a big wave of kind of recognition that this is important but what i've seen quite a lot of is there's a lot of window dressing Mm. but what does it look like on the employment cycle what does it look like when you move through the organization what does it look like when you want to progress so it's one thing to get hired how do you become the ceo yeah because actually you know if you expect i mean dyslexia is a really good example you know lots of people have got dyslexic traits have really big picture thinking they get how it all glues together and it scares the crap out of people that they work for sometimes because they get it in a way that their bosses don't get it. But how do you embrace that and not get scared by it and work with it like a team instead of crushing it and saying, well, you're not performing at X, so we can't embrace Y. You're not in my box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do we yeah. change the shapes? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, absolutely. That's... And that's really interesting, I think, because my experience often with leaders is for those leaders that really do care and they want to be better there's a fear there about doing everything right and doing everything right for every individual to the point where sometimes I find that individuals are so fearful of getting it right they don't do anything it's like it freezes them because they don't feel they sort of manage to tell themselves I'm not equipped to do this I'm not experienced enough i.e there's this, you know, that whole notion of like, well, because I've not experienced a neurodivergent individual before, or because I'm personally not dyslexic, suffer with ADHD, whatever, I'm not equipped to be able to do this. And it actually stops people therefore from doing anything. Um, how how would you advise an individual in that state where they've got I'd the best sto- intentions, but they're frightened? Yeah. I'd use a story. So, okay, my friend, Professor Amanda Kirby, she's a GP, yeah? So people come and see her all the time. Some of them have got nasty cancers and stuff. And do you know what? She hasn't had all those conditions. But she can still work with them and prescribe for them and work out the best treatment plan. And I think that's true for all this stuff. Mm. And it starts with that critical question of asking, what is useful? How can I support you? And that's not in the sense of you hand over the crown jewels and just say anything goes, but it's a negotiation in terms of working out what do you need to perform at your most effective where Mm. do we need to bring in additional support and where do we just need to work stuff out ourselves because coming back to this idea that it's a project i have worked with a lot of different people but i've never worked with anyone like you for example lisa i've never worked with you susie so actually i can never come in and say lisa if you know if you had all these traits or whatever i know exactly how to deal with you because that just would not be true because i would not know who you are and what you need until i asked you and worked it out and I think this thing about partnership is really underrated and so essential for making this stuff work because we work it out together. And sometimes the answer is going to be, this isn't the right job for you. But yeah. other times it's going to be, actually, with a few tweaks, we can make this work and there's some, something that we can we can do differently. Because I'd argue a lot of the changes that, that, that help individuals who've got neurodivent traits are simple to implement and really effective. But it has to be in partnership and it has to be trust stuff like actually how we do feedback because some people need more feedback than others but we'll never know what they need until we ask them and we don't always have to take their first answer either because sometimes that's about the relationship building you know it's like that thing about i don't know if you've ever heard the story you know 
um when 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 a, when a you know a, a bloke walks out and gets married and then then afterwards his his wife turns around to to him and says um you never tell me you love me but but he said well I told you on our wedding day what more do you need it's just like that's not efficient feedback I need to know we're connected <laughs> I need to know where I'm at um so that's really a pretty rubbish way to tell the story but that idea that actually different people need different but we have to keep asking and we keep, yeah. have to keep working it out and feedback I would argue also needs to be what went well even better if yeah yeah you know, this sort of idea because stuff goes wrong and we can always get better but if we don't embrace it and move forwards from it how on earth are we going to improve and we you know and, and if we don't get things wrong I'd argue we're not trying hard enough yeah I would as well well we've talked a lot about this and in, in previous episodes and it's quite a theme that comes up quite often on the coaching cast right. is about learning and the power of feedback and I think in this context what you said there is even more important around you know that piece around not assuming that you know mm. what's going on for somebody and actually coming from a place of understanding of curiosity mm. and then you build it together I love what you just said there about mm. you know um partnering together to create those that environment for somebody to thrive at work and really amplify their strengths um you know it's critical for anyone but I think in this context it's even more critical isn't it yeah and that there as well so it's about noticing because actually yeah. I can say, I don't don't diagnose because we're not yeah. GPs, we're, you know, we're just managers or leaders or co- whatever we are, but we can notice. We can say, actually, Susie, I noticed that that looks a bit tricky. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about that? Is that something I can support you with? Or do you want to just me to leave that alone and never mention it again? You know, whatever, you, however yeah. you phrase it. But the fact you've noticed puts it in play. Yeah. And so giving that person there. the choice as well to yeah. kind of kind of respond or not, you know, in that in yeah. that sense. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I love that. Whatever you need to put around that in terms of, you know, it's fine, but I'd love to support you. Or would you want to just work it out yourself or who else do you want to talk to? Because actually, maybe I'm not the right person. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I just want to mm-hmm. let you know that I've noticed and I think it's important. And I yeah, and I think it does come down to that whole. Just because you're a leader or a manager doesn't mean you have all the answers and no one's expecting you to. I think that's an archaic view and one that many of us are, we learn incorrectly when we're growing as managers. Um, You don't have to have all the answers. Actually, the best question is, as you've already said, really, which is what do you need? And just actually even asking a question rather than telling the answer or, and that horrible word, you know, assuming you know, because how could you possibly know if you, if, you know, I, th- I I think that took me a long time to learn as a manager. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes on the way. And I don't really regret it, really. I, I think I could have probably avoided a lot of self mm. issues and probably some mm. damage to other people if I'd been taught that sooner. Um, but like you said, sometimes you have to be prepared to fail and you get such great learning from doing so and that, that's usually lifelong learning usually the failures teach you things that you never forget um but yeah just that question like what do you need and how can I support you you know it's sometimes that's the best gift because actually it's saying two things one I'm interested in how I actually can support you and two I'm offering <laughs> you know I've got your back like I want to help um which I just think are some of the most simple questions that just don't get often used often yeah. enough and that um, doesn't need to be a blank check either because you can you can still have appropriate you, you still have appropriate yeah. boundaries in there and you can say well I know you need that I can't give you that but I can give you this is there yes. somewhere we meet in the middle I don't yeah. know why but I just keep thinking about um 
Tom Hanks in Apollo 13 when they're trying to work out how to get... Do you remember in the film where they're trying to work out how to use all the bits they've got left over in the, the module yeah. to make the breathing apparatus? And I think that idea of leadership that says, do you know what? This is what we've got. I don't know if we can make it work, but should we give it a go and see what we need? Yeah. <laughs> I get a sense you're a film buff, Nathan. Well, sometimes. Maybe later, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am as well. I, I love films. I'm a huge film buff, so that's that's cool with me. Um, I like the references for sure. Um, so bringing this more well back more to you yourself um, and your work as a as a coach. Um, why do people work with you? Good question. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I, think, I, I think I think part I think part of it is the initial attraction comes around you kind of understand and know about this stuff and then it's kind of letting setting the expectation actually i don't know about it all but i've got i've worked in the area which is quite useful i think it's quite helpful to talk to people that have been around the area and have confidence in working it out in the unknown which mm. i think is really important um and also my my particular what i i think is really important with this space is that you do it one step at a time mm. it's not about getting on a program it's not about signing you up for the next 10 years. It's about actually how do we work out one conversation at a time? Mm. And I think that's really important because I really believe that people are sorted enough to solve their own problems. They just need someone to hold the space to work it out. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes that takes five minutes and sometimes that takes a lot longer. But actually someone that's prepared to say, and I don't know how long it's going to take and I don't know what the conversation is going to look like seems to work for quite a lot of people and mm. particularly in this space because because it's there's a lot of medical kind of terminology around it but actually if we believe that people are experts in their own stuff that's kind of useful information and data but actually we need to talk to the person and that's I guess is probably why people come and talk to me um mm. I think, I think anyway. yeah I think that's such a great um that's such a great belief because that's one that I share in my coaching as well, which, and actually, do you know what, as a coach, it really helps me to focus in on the individual even more and give them even more space is that belief. Mm -hmm. They've got everything they need already. I just need to help them to work through it, to get it out, to get that clarity that potentially they just don't have. Um, and I think that is the true power of coaching. To be yeah, I mean, one of the other things I did as well, Lisa, quite is I do these things called workplace needs assessments, which are sort of the idea is that you spend time with individuals to work out what their needs are in the workplace. And I had a brilliant mm. bit of feedback. I spoke to someone the other day because I we talked about it and we've worked out possibly some coaching would be helpful, etc. And I spoke to myself, what what you want to do about the coaching? He said, well, I don't need the coaching because we had the conversation and now I've worked out what I need to do. Now I'm going to go and do it. And part of it, the part of you with the commercial hat on is going, what a car crash. The part of you that <laughs> do a great job is going, that's flipping amazing. <laughs> that's, the, that's what we have to hold, you know, and actually it's yeah, all about what's best for the thinker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had exactly the same situation yesterday, but on some training. So a different context where I'd basically, by the end of the conversation, probably convinced the person that training wasn't the right thing for them, <laughs> that I was actually trying to, like, essentially influence them. And I came up and I was like, 
but it wasn't the right thing for the person and at that point in time and actually ethically that's the right thing for yes. me as a yeah. person so you know you've got to sometimes you know go with it but I can totally relate to that <laughs> I think that's amazing Serge. and I think that's really and I think that's where I mean just sort of to segue a bit more on the coaching side that's why I think I mean a friend of mine Claire Pedrick talks about this idea of um triage coaching that actually coaching is not always the answer, but having a short coaching conversation can help you get to what the answer might be. Yeah. It might be yeah. therapy. It might go and see the GP. It might be going some counselling. It might, this could be lumber of things, but, but quite often, I think if we think about what coaching really is, which is two people having a conversation where one person's doing the thinking, and the other person's noticing and walking with them, that is a powerful space to work out the clutter of confused situations yeah and that's really relevant in this I think it's really relevant in the space that I work in but also in lots of the other spaces yeah absolutely so to start bringing our conversation to a, a close sadly um I could talk to you all day um what would you offer as your top three you're allowed a fourth if you want we, we're not that strict on the number um <laughs> what would you offer as your kind of top three tips if you like to others who are listening who are wanting to support neurodiversity in the workplace the most important thing is to ask them whoever them may be (laughs) what they need Mm. i'd encourage you to not be afraid as well to have a conversation um as we touched on already you know don't diagnose but notice yeah i like that yeah notice don't diagnose and don't be afraid to reach out. And I know I probably got aware of yourself for. And don't believe everything you read online. Because actually, there are lots of helpful personal stories which are true for individuals that may not be true for the situation that's in front of you. So, yeah. you know, treat everything with the same way you would treat any sort of thing you're coming across. Ask questions, see if that's relevant, see if it's helpful, and offer it. Yeah. Well, I really liked what you said quite early on, which is treat everyone as an individual. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it, I think it's approach everyone as a unique individual because yeah. that that is the truth. Um, as much as we talk about sameness and normal, actually mm-hmm. that doesn't really exist. Not really. <laughs> um, Not at all. Not at all. And it's about connection as well, isn't it? Because Yeah. I worked with a guy recently who was really quiet, um, withdrawn, timid. It turns out he's a dance DJ. <laughs> I Amazing. would have never known that, but until I asked him, what is it that floats your boat at a weekend? You know, what is it that's <laughs> going on here? And you find out this is actually this person that gets up in front of quite a lot of people and <laughs> spins some discs. It's just like, but we never know till we ask. No, yeah, totally. I've been surprised so many times by individuals and therefore checked myself to go Mm. you should never judge based on what they're showing you at any given time because that's not the full story just because you're an open book Lisa and really transparent (laughs) don't really hold back (laughs) on most things it doesn't mean everybody else is that way you know Um, no absolutely and we're all wonderfully made as well which I think is the thing to yes yes yeah Absolutely. So Nathan, if people uh, would love to hear more from you, learn more about you and your work as the neurodivergent coach, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a website. Um, So if you want to get in contact, please feel free to connect and 
I'm really happy to have a conversation. Fantastic. We'll also put all your details in our show notes for this oh, thank episode. You, yeah, so um, if you have uh, yeah, listened to this episode, you're interested in finding out more or connecting with Nathan, you can also go to the show notes and you'll find all the links there. We'll put them all in one place so that everyone can access them uh, and uh, reach out if needed. So yeah, so thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. It's been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate your story, sharing your personal experience yeah. and your real knowledge and skill in this space. It's been brilliant. Yeah, thank you so much, Nathan. Really enjoyed chatting to you today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We are coming to the end of today's fantastic episode where we've had the privilege of talking to Nathan Whitbread about neurodiversity in the workplace. So Nathan's top tips from today are as follows. Number one is notice but don't diagnose. So really important, just really be curious about the individuals you work with and your team members and be aware of anything that you believe is a challenge for them potentially and use it as data to support good conversations. Number two, so these are some self-coaching questions for you to use as well. So think about how you can apply these potentially with those you work with. So it, uh, they are number one ask what do you need so if you're noticing that someone may be being challenged in some way ask them what they need don't assume you know what is right for them and consider the question how can I support you so really support them to tell you how you can help number three do not be afraid to have conversations so I think you know we had a really great conversation with Nathan there about how at times our willingness and our real want, our desire to care for others and to support them can possibly freeze us in a space where we don't feel we're well equipped or have the experience. But as Nathan said, the real key here is to not be afraid. The most important thing you can do is to actually start the conversation. Number four is always, always remember, individuals, all of us, we are all unique. We are all completely different. So therefore, it's a key that whatever we put together is with that person in mind, with their input, and really takes into account their uniqueness. And actually, we celebrate it when we support the diversity, because that's where the true creativity and innovation comes. So don't worry about trying to remember those. They will be on our Instagram page this week after the uh, publishing of the episode. And you'll also be able to find them on our website as well. So Instagram is at the coaching cast and our website is thecoachingcast.co.uk. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Nathan and have some new ideas, thoughts or inspiration to take away and give a try for yourself. If you've got any questions, thoughts or feedback, or even if you'd love to guest on the coaching cast, you can contact us in three ways on email at hello at the coaching on the gram at the coaching cast. And you can also contact us through our website, the coaching cast.co.uk. The gram down the with gram. the kids. Yeah. Down with the kids. Your support helps more than you know. So if you like what you've heard today and you would like to help us to grow the podcast and join our CBB community, that's our corporate bullshit basher community, then leave us a review on the Apple podcast app. You have no import, have no idea, sorry, how important these are. They really help others to find us as a podcast. Yeah. 
hit subscribe wherever you listen so that you get first notification of new episodes and also give us a follow on the gram as Susie has just said at the coaching cast and that's where we post regularly our episode releases top tips um coaching questions and just general hilarity and nonsense that we're getting up to and Last but by no means least, don't forget, you can watch these episodes on YouTube and also on our website. So on YouTube, just search for The Coaching Cast. So finally, we both love music and we use it to motivate and energise us. So we like to finish each episode with our personal song recommendation, giving you some positivity, some energy and even some inspiration as you launch into your next meeting. So it's my choice this week and I've chosen an oldie. I'm a big Van Morrison fan and I've chosen his track, Dweller on the Threshold. It's a good one. Thank you so much for listening to us speak with Nathan today. And remember, CBBs, you've got this.